So we learn about the same chapter in 5, the apostles were imprisoned, obviously that is the second time we learn about their imprisonment. And the, uh, the Sanhedrin of their time is not happy with what they're doing, obviously they're trying to get them in trouble and God also helped them in the form of the angel of the Lord who came and helped the disciples. And one of the main important things the angel of the Lord said is for the disciples to go stand and preach all the words of life. So the disciples were doing just that. They were teaching all the words of life. And so from here on, we will see what happened in, in chapter 5, 26. Then went the captain with the officers. So obviously this is uh, the event where the disciples were taken out of the prison. And uh, things were so confusing for the authorities at that time. So what was going on? The people were brought back. The disciples were brought back before the council in Acts 20, Acts 5, 20, uh, 26 following. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And, they, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them the following things. So let's look at a few verses to get the context. So, and when they heard that, that is uh, the angel of the Lord in verse 20 said, Go stand and speak in the temple of the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought, that is the disciples. But when, again, note here, it's uh, obviously Peter and other disciples, Peter is the main one. And, but when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they turned and told, saying, The prison truly found was shut with all the safety, and the keepers standing out without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Very interesting statement right there. Then came one and told him, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. This is the context of this. So, in 24, what are we looking at in verse 24? Now, when the high priest uh, and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they, were, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Now, keep in mind that the disciples are teaching and preaching the name of Jesus. They are teaching about Jesus Christ. And these people were just so concerned where they might, this might grow in the sense how many people would be there are two different understandings, I believe, in that. Where they might grow, like how many people would be turning or converting into uh, following this, uh, this, this name, Jesus, or Christianity. Or how far this issue would go. Because by then, there's so many people believing. So they were not all that happy because of the conversions that are going on. In, that, in Jerusalem, there are so many people coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they're believing in Him with faith, through faith. And these... Chief priests and the authorities were not liking that. I make fun of these people because they're losing the grip of their authority, right? Wouldn't that be a problem? I mean, if, if I'm of a different party and Dr. Bacon is of a different party and he's got all kinds of people following his party until this, this year and then I came into the politics and everybody's coming following me, obviously he's like, What's, what are you doing? These are my people. They're supposed to be with me, but you're taking them. All my office is leaving. You know, like somebody else is resigning already in, <clears throat> in one of the offices. Everybody's leaving. So why? They're following me. I can't have, they're coming and following me. But then he might not be liking that. So the Sanhedrin are in this problem in the same shoe. They're not liking of what is going on. And they want to stop. No matter what it takes, they want to stop. But what do we see here? Then when the captain with the officers, so obviously they're going to arrest them again. They went... Uh, 
captain with the officers brought them without violence. Why is that? Why would, why would you think they didn't make any mess out there because they're scared? The officers are scared. So what happened? For they feared the people. They feared the people lest they should have been stoned. This is still the baby church. Initial days of the church. So obviously Christ tells us, and even in Pauline literature later on, you would learn that we should show grace or mercy or love our enemies, right? I mean, these people are a little bit opposite at that time because they were not taking things lightly. If you put your hands on their beloved leaders, you, officers or scribes or Sanhedrin, are going to be in trouble. People are believers. These people are believers. They fear. They feared the people lest they should have been stoned. They were just so worried that people are going to take action on them because they're being protective of these teachers, of the disciples. And that didn't happen back then because obviously, yeah. I mean, Jesus makes the statement, I was in front of you every single day, I mean, teaching in the temple, but you didn't do anything because they, they, they fear the people so they might take action. So this is also one of the things that I thought, I thought very interesting because people were giving respect and they're being very protective of this man in some, some respect. So the authorities were scared to put their hands on them. So what happened there is no force was involved in bringing the disciples to face the council because these officers were scared in our terms almost to death. Scared to death that the public, those who are listening to them and believers might stone them, meaning the first time believers did not take threat lightly. You don't threaten their people. You don't threaten their leaders sort of thing. So here we see a huge amount of uh, Respect going on. Let's see if this is going to move. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and so, um, and as soon as it was the day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came through and led them into their councils saying, so what were they saying here? We also see sort of this uh, setting in Luke 22 and 66. There was another incident that happened, obviously, in the Gospel of Luke. So a similar thing was going on there where people were always, the scribes and authorities were always trying to get the disciples or apostles in trouble. So what happened after they were brought in there? The, count, the continued ban on speaking in the name of Jesus. Now we learned previous chapters when Peter was told to not speak, Peter and John were told not to speak in the name, they did not listen to the authorities, right? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They did not listen to the authorities and they talked, they gave them their defense and they pointed the problem. You people are the one who crucified Jesus Christ. You're responsible for his death and so forth. So Peter sort of reiterated the same thing that he said previously in Acts chapter 2. So they did not stop um, the ban, but here again, it is imposed. Uh, the ban is imposed. So what did they say? And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them saying, did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? You notice that they don't even want to say Jesus. Have we not told you not to teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. He's not intending to bring that man's blood upon you. You are part of the crucifixion. You are part of killing Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, in, in the plan of God, this must happen because God has purposed this to happen, that Jesus Christ should die for the sake of this world, for the sake of the sinners. Yes, that is part of God's plan. But these people are also involved. Therefore, there is judgment upon them. They're also involved in this. So... Uh, now look at this, I mean, some sort of a, they're, maybe they're getting convicted a little bit, maybe they're seeing what Peter was seeing and the disciples were doing and then, 
They're coming to their senses. They're thinking, hey, if you keep doing this, you know what? By doing this, you're bringing the guilt upon us. Why are you doing this thing? We told you not to speak. So we straightly commanded you that you should not teach in this name. What did Peter say last time? Should we listen to God or to you? Should we obey God or you? We obey God rather than man. So, but we told you previously, you didn't listen. And what did you do? You filled Jerusalem. That is a beautiful term. You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, intent to bring this man's blood upon us. So that is the evidence that a lot of people are believing in, in Jesus. Yes. <coughs> Innocent? Yeah, they think that they're in it, that that uh, that the uh, Sanhedrin thinks they're innocent of the blood of Jesus, even though they were the ones who pushed Pilate to execute them. They were the ones that brought him up on charges, you know, and they were the ones who who pushed Pilate to to execute Jesus and have a murderer released to them, you know. And so they're like, oh, but you're 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 trying to bring the blood of him on us. It's like. Maybe it's already there. Yeah. I mean, they're part of this whole thing. Yeah. Why would they even uh, try to arrest Jesus and bring him in trouble throughout his ministry? The Pharisees, the so-called scribes and teachers of the law, because obviously they're, they hate Jesus Christ. Every time, every, they're trying to, they're in, their intention was they're looking to put him in trouble. They're eagerly waiting for a moment. Especially when he pointed fingers and says, you people, you think you know the law. You clean the cup outside, but inside it's just so dirty. Uh, scribes said, um, Mr. Master, don't include us with this group of Pharisees, because we are the teachers. Oh, you're no different. That's it. They, from that moment, they're seeking to kill Jesus. Why? Jesus was so straightforward. He is the standard of truth, right? Based on John 14, 6, he doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. He's saying the truth and he's so straightforward. Are these people going to get hurt? Yes, because they're doing something wrong. They know that they're doing wrong and they don't want to accept it. They don't want to accept it. It's like when someone is doing wrong and you, let's just say for a student is copying an exam and the professor saw the student and said, hey, you are cheating, you're copying, get up. What is that? Show me that paper. What do you mean get up? I'm not doing anything. Yeah. What? what oh, no, I don't do anything. What do you, what do you mean? I, no, that's that's just a piece of paper. I'm trying to hide what I'm writing. I don't do any. I'm not cheating it. What do you mean? It? <sighs> and the eyes goes round, and I'm like, mm -hmm, stop rolling your eyes. That's just. I mean, you know, things like that would happen. But when you speak the truth, those who are doing the wrong thing get hurt. That's just to me a natural observation is when people get upset because you pointed at some truth, at some, something that they're doing wrong, and then they get upset, that's it. If I didn't do anything wrong, you come and say, blame me, I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, I didn't do it. But if I did something wrong and I'm trying to hide it, you come and point your finger at me, who are you to judge me? That's the first thing probably comes out of my mouth. You see what I'm saying? So these people, Christ was pointing their error. You are doing this, you are doing this. You think you know the law, but you don't know the law. Same thing Paul says later on in, in Timothy. These people, the so-called teachers of the law, they, they come into your household churches and into, into the synagogues and so forth. And they try to attack the idle people, saying that they're teaching you the law, but they don't know what they're speaking. Paul was so brutal. I mean, compared to Jesus Christ, they both are just straightforward, right? Peter is even more, in, in my understanding, he's, even, he's always sharpening his knife. 
So, I mean, when you speak the truth, obviously it hurts. And these people know that they did something wrong. They crucified Jesus, who was innocent. They know that. But they come up with all kinds of thoughts and ideas. He's speaking of blasphemous things. He is equalizing himself with father. He says, before Abraham, I was. I mean, he was not even 50 years old. What is he talking about? So they try to find every single day, they try to find something to accuse Jesus and get in trouble. So obviously, here in the text, when Peter and the apostles were really not backing off because they were witness of what Jesus did. And they're speaking very straightforward. They're, they don't have any reason to come up with some sort of uh, pre-made, uh, what do you call those things, defense in their case. They're just saying, you people crucify Christ. And they, here are in some way to me that they're sort of uh, agreeing, uh, you're bringing their guilt upon us as if we did that. Isn't that what they're saying? Isn't that what they're doing? Yes, yes. Well, the disciples are pointing their fingers at us as if we are the ones who brought Jesus to death. So what are we learning here? This is what the high priest said. Do we not order you that you should not teach in this name? The question requires an affirmative answer. Yes or no, but here it is an affirmative answer. The command is a strong one. And Luke puts emphasis on the command that they should not teach from speaking on the grammatical terms. The high priest does not use Jesus' name here as you have observed. And behold, that is Luke, say point, next point, you have filled Jerusalem. When you hear the term behold, for example, in coming from Old Testament perspective, in English you say look, right? Sometimes we use that in our, in our just don't tell anybody, sometimes I'm mocking James translation. No, just kidding. But behold means it's, just, it's more than just looking. What did, uh, how many of you remember the passage on Isaiah where Isaiah hears what's going on in the heaven and whom should we send? And Isaiah says what? When God commissioned Isaiah, Isaiah says something, right? Behold, here I am. That little term, behold, in Hebrew means hine. Hine is just a particle. It's not even sort of a word. It's not a complete word. It's a particle. And that word has so much power. When when Bible says behold, it's like Isaiah was screaming with his lungs out. I mean, he's just screaming his lungs out. Am I making sense when I say that? He's screaming so loud, like, here I am, send me. Look, here, send me. Isaiah, you're not all that young. What are you thinking? I don't care. Send me. He's just screaming out his lungs. So these people, when they say, behold, look what you did to Jerusalem. You, because of you people, there's so many believing in that name. We don't want that to happen. We told you to stop doing preaching in his name and you're not listening. Peter always said, fool, scream what you want to scream. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to obey God, not men, not you. You have a comment? I, I wonder if Isaiah regretted his behold after God told him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Half of his book is about judgment. Obey. Come back. Assyria is going to come. Lord, uh, what a task this is. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, the- I mean, even once God tells him, how long? You're, you're, you're going to preach how long? Oh, until their cities are destroyed and empty and everybody's dead and it's over with. Yeah, it's, his life is and something. Their hearts bad, their eyes heavy, their ears blocked up. Just, um, maybe, maybe no. Jeremiah, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. Don't worry about that, Jeremiah. Go on, go on. Give the word. 
to this to this, to these people. Okay, since your word, what happened in Jeremiah? Oh, he's weeping and weeping and weeping, <laughs> probably hitting his head to the ground every single day. And what am I doing here? But God, Isaiah said, look, 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 you send me. Same thing here. These people are just so not happy. I mean, there's like, you can, you can basically imagine there's this loud scream and noise going on. People are yelling at the disciples. Look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. The high priest is a witness to the spreading of Jesus' name because he said that, look, you filled. Meaning what? Why would he say that if he's not really paying attention to what's going on in Jerusalem? You filled the perfect indicative in Greek. Action has been done. So the high priest is saying you literally have filled the entire city with this doctrine. It's not, it's not going on now. You've already done that. You've already filled Jerusalem with the doctrine of this man, this name that we told you not to talk about. It's filled. Now what do we do? We're losing grip and command on the people. We are to be respected by this community. Not you, people. You're uneducated, illiterates. You simply followed this man named Jesus for some time and you're thinking you're some mass master teachers? We've been teaching the law for so long. We've been obeying the laws for so long. We know the law. You need to obey us. We are the council. We can make things or break things. You don't know that. If you don't know that, you better know it now. So listen to us and stop teaching in his name. You've already, from their sense, you've already polluted Jerusalem with this man's name. And his teaching. So there's so many things going on. Look at this guy. He says, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. This is an ancient thought that if someone is accused of murdering an innocent man, that blood would take revenge on that murderer. <laughs> ancient thought. So you are calling on a revenge upon us. Disciples, you better stop what you're doing. Revelation 6.10 says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So you get that sense. You get the sense of this, taking revenge on the murderer. How long is being asked by the Lord? How long should we wait, Lord? How long are you going to wait? <laughs> That's the beauty of the God of the Bible. He's waiting because he wants people to come and believe in him. It's not like he doesn't know what to do or his mind is blank. And sometimes when we are writing exams, what happens? <laughs> Something happened and we forget the answers, right? Yes. I think that's what they do that those cries to the Lord are continuous, right? I mean, I'm just imagining that those pleas to the Lord are, it's not only one time. They cried. I, I would imagine that they're crying out all day long or, you know, just, what, what do you think of that? Uh, well, I mean, I really have to look at the Greek because if that's that's the past, that's the um, what do you call the past action, then it's going. It could be like at certain amount of time, like in the past. Yeah, it's in the past. Okay, so yeah, that means in the past they cried. At certain amount of time they cried. It's uh, so aorist is aorist. No, it's it's like an act done in the past. If it's so in Greek there is aorist, there's imperfect. If it's imperfect, that means in the past at some point undefined point, people cried for a long time. So we don't, whenever that was, but in the past, there's a, there's a long time of uh, cry, but this is like an action done once. So, and they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge? <laughs> Christ is holy. He is called what? True. And he is the judge, the ultimate judge. There's no Ultimate judge in the book of Acts, even though the judge, the whole term with an article is used for Jephthah. 
Jephthah is not the ultimate judge, Christ is. So how long thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So obviously there are people that are killed during their earthly life and there is that call, how long are you going to wait? Christ is going to destroy every single one that's against him, that's blasphemous, that's, that's, you know, that's um, creating a mess on the earth, basically towards his enemies. So we see that the disciples were brought in and these guys, the Sanhedrin and the committee was like already feeling bad and making them, I mean, they're sort of saying, you are putting this man's death upon us, disciples, so you stop, because people probably are talking. You know, Jerusalem is not like, what, 500 miles in, 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 in the entire place, in the city's boundaries. So word goes out pretty quick. People are probably talking about it, and these guys are not liking it. So what happens here? The continued uh, the obedience of the disciples. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Obviously, no, we're not going to obey you. The disciples had an encounter with the angel with, uh, we just, uh, that is in 520 or 420. The disciples had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. They are obeying the command to continuously proclaim the name of Jesus. The angel said what? Go and stand, preach about the whole thing about this life. The life is nothing but Jesus. So, so where there is a conflict, because God demands, where there is a conflict between God's demands and human demands, obedience to God must triumph, or trump obedience to humanity. That's what we're seeing here. When there is a conflict between God's demands and human's demands, we must obey God rather than humanity. That's what they're doing there, right? The people are demanding, the Sanhedrin, the council who can play games with Pilate and everybody else, they have the power. And so these people are saying there is a conflict between obeying God and obeying you. So we, we choose to obey God. And they were also told by the angel to obey. And they are the disciples of Jesus Christ who already trained them that when you get into persecutions, you're going to get into persecutions. I'm not going to train you with some false uh, things. So you're going to run into persecutions. I'm sending you in the midst of who? I'm sending the sheep in the midst of He's sending his disciples in the, of, in the midst of these wolves. They're going to tear you apart. You're going to run into persecution. You're going to suffer for my sake. So be ready. These things are going to happen. So Christ never taught them in any false way that your life is going to be amazing because you are the disciples of Creator God. <laughs> no, you're going, to, you're going to face a lot of these things. When people reject the message that you're sharing, shake your hands up, dust off and move on. Why? Because they're not rejecting you. You're just the messengers. We are just the messengers. If people don't uh, listen to us or if, if you're sharing gospel message, people don't respond to it. Know that you and I are simply messengers. They're rejecting God. Christ says that if they don't listen to you, what do you do? Move on. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. When you reject God, when you reject Christ, What's going to happen? Your future is already written and stamped. Right? So God trained them and these people are following exactly what God, how God has trained. So where there's a conflict between God's demands and human demands, obedience to God must triumph or trump obedience to humanity. So in spite of many hurdles to God's work and for God's word, God's mission continued through God's disciples who are committed and dedicated to serve. The Lord, And that is what also we need today, the commitment and dedication to serve the Lord. We don't want to serve the Lord when things are going well, right? I mean, we, we can, but if we only desire to serve the Lord when we, we have everything at hand and when we have this wonderful life, then what, what kind of service is that? 
And when there's rough times, when we're you know, swimming, um, what is it called, the waves? The, against the waves. So when we're not dedicated and committed at the time, yeah, against the currents, that's not right. Look at this. These people are committed and dedicated. They were teaching in the Solomon's portico, right? They're having a good time. And I would imagine they're having a wonderful time teaching Christ. And then they run into issue. What happens when they come and arrest them? <laughs> Second time? All right, right here. Go on. Where are you going to take us today? Third time and arrest? Fourth, no problem. You're going to get us in trouble? No problem. But they are committed, dedicated to serve the Lord because they've seen, they've understood what Christ is, what he came for, and they understood the salvation message. They've understood the gospel, the power of gospel. Uh, and so they're so committed and dedicated, but are we dedicated as these disciples? We could say, well, listen, uh, they were with Jesus Christ, and so their life is different, and we didn't see Jesus' face. So it's going to be a little bit different <laughs> when it comes to for our commitment. What is this that we have in our hand? Scripture, right? This is nothing but listening, directly hearing from God's mouth. Because this is His Word. Is this a substitute? Is this a substitute book for God or... I mean, some preacher, I can't remember his name, but I just love the way he said it. When you open the Bible, he says, you open the mind of God. I think, like, the, to, to understand the importance of Scripture is to understand exactly the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. <laughs> you know, um, where the rich man says, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers. And Abraham says, no, they have the, the they have Moses and the prophets. Yeah. And he says, no, but if Lazarus shows up, then they'll believe Lazarus. You know, because they know, you know, they, he's risen from the dead. Abraham's response is, if they're not going to believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe someone who rises from the dead. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. This, I mean, for us, we can come up with that excuse. We didn't see Jesus' face, and they were so trained under the master teacher. So, yeah, that's a little different, you could say. But then we have the Word of God, which is not the same thing as them listen to God. We have His voice right here, His mind, His heart, His soul. When you open the Bible, you not only open the mind of God, you open and see the heartbeat of God. This indicates the heartbeat. Of, no, I'm not talking about translation, just so you know. But the Word of God shows us the heartbeat of God. What is the heartbeat of God from page one to last page? You can also look, I mean, Judas Iscariot saw Jesus face to face, saw all the miracles, saw everything, and still didn't believe. <laughs> yeah, I'm... It, it, it's fundamentally not, not about seeing Jesus, you know. And it, it's, that's what I've always, I, I've always referred to as the, Ebenezer Scrooge effect, you know, where Ebenezer Scrooge is, is talking to one of the ghosts and he says, you know, how do I know you're, you're not just an undercooked potato, an undigested bit of beef, there's more gravy to you than the grave, you know, and that just gets to the heart of we don't believe what we see mm -hmm. if we don't want to believe it. Yeah. What did Jesus say to Thomas? Oh, I have to check if it's you or not. I won't believe until I touch you and see. Christ said what? 
Blessed are those who believe that I have. I mean, that's amazing, right? So in other words, you and I are more blessed. Is that what the text is saying? Because we didn't see Jesus face to face. There are people who saw the Creator face to face, did not believe in Him. Are they going to pay a lot more? Are they, we'll talk about that later, maybe this. And some, some people might disagree that if there are any degrees in hell, there are there's, are there's burning levels in hell or temperature levels in hell. So that's probably a different topic altogether. But those people who saw the Creator face to face and denied, just imagine what could happen for them. I mean, this is just, we, we didn't even see the Creator face to face, but we see His heart right here. Scripture is, the, in, in Scripture, God reveals His heartbeat, that is to redeem people, right? Jesus came to do what? The angel said, Mary, you're going to name Him Jesus because He's going to fill in the black His own people. What is it? He's going to save His own people. Who are His own people? Jewish people or New Israel? What is New Israel? What does it consist of? Both believing, huh? All those who believe. Who are his people? Everybody that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ are his people. He's going to save his people. So Jesus came to save. That is the heartbeat of God. That is why God the Father sent his beloved son, the heaven's beloved, to this earth to redeem people. Right? The ministry of reconciliation, we learned 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul talks about that. We are the ambassadors of Christ. You and I are the ambassadors of Christ. What is the, what is the function of an ambassador in general? Going representing. Representing. We're the ambassadors. We have uh, entrusted a ministry by Christ himself, not just to Paul and to disciples, the 12, or any other disciples later we learn in this, in this book. But even for us, we are... Doing the work of God, if we are doing the work of God, we're, doing, we're serving God, then we are part of the ministry of reconciliation. God is reconciling everything back to himself. God is restoring everything back to himself. That is what this says, right? We learn from page one to last page, the Bible tells us how God is working to restore what is his back to himself. That is the whole Bible. The restoration is in progress. It's going on. God is the greatest missionary of all times as I've Teach in my class as well, Principles of Evangelism. There's no better missionary than God himself because he initiated the mission's work <laughs> in some sense. He was the one who clothed Adam and Eve. He was providing that plan of redemption from day one. And he's not going to be coming back until that point of time comes in, in his plan, in, in God's plan. So these people were told that you need to just stop, but then we see utmost dedication in the lives of disciples and are, do we have that kind of dedication, commitment to serve God? Forget about other people, other things. Are, are we committed to serve God or not? Do we have the dedication? Are we only going to serve God when things are going well and not serve Him when things are not going well? Our relationship is directly tied. Every individual is directly responsible to answer God. You serve God directly. You don't serve God under somebody else's authority even though we have God as a signed authority. The relation, we don't, we don't need a mediator between us and God. Is there a requirement for mediator? No. What happened when Christ died on the cross? What happened to the curtain in the temple? Torn apart. God gave us access directly, sort of to the Holy of Holies, to God himself. And today, Christ and Holy Spirit are praying for us 
Jesus Christ is our advocate who speaks on our behalf to our Holy Father. When I picture that, that thing just blows my mind. I mean, look at this. Uh, imagine God the Father in this, is in his Oval Office, Holy of Holies. And Jesus was right up there on his right-hand side. And he was talking to Father on behalf of every single one of us. Isn't that amazing? Because... Christ prays for us, for, for our, our needs. Christ prays for us because even Holy Spirit prays for us because we don't know what to pray sometimes because we just use words that doesn't mean a whole lot. Sometimes we pray that prayer doesn't mean a whole lot to nothing. Holy Spirit God, Scripture says we don't know how to pray, so Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. So, I mean, there's another issue that where King James translates that Holy Spirit talks with unknown... <laughs> Unknown tongue, there is no such thing a word as unknown in, in the original manuscript. So they added that word. That caused a lot of issue. But Holy Spirit prays for us. So next word we're going to look at, we have like five minutes left. Next we see the continued defense of Peter from 5.30 to 31. So what is Peter saying here in 5.30 to 31? Um, the God of our fathers, this is Peter's response. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on the tree. I mean, how clear should he be? You killed Jesus, hang him on the tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for, the, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. So obviously they are not just alone. You see that? In the book of Acts, we learn the Holy Spirit coming, Holy Spirit empowering his disciples and speaking through them. And here also we see these disciples are not alone. Holy Spirit, God is with them. So what do you see? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom he slew and hang on the tree. Him hath God exalted with the right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. In Jesus there is repentance. If you obey and believe in Jesus, you go, and there is repentance in him and also forgiveness. The God of Abraham, uh, in Acts 3.3 also Peter said the same thing. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go. Maybe for you to think it was a pirate soft on Jesus. Maybe you can think about it at some point. But this is already, Peter already addressed this thing. Peter was saying that yes, you are the one so responsible for his death. You're part of his death. So wake up. He said that in 3.13. He also says that in, same, in, this, in this verse. So what did God do Jesus based on 5.31? He hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior, to forgive, uh, to give repentance and also forgiveness of sins. So he exalted Jesus on his right hand, place of honor as a leader and savior, as a leader and savior. So what is the purpose of it? That he might give to Israel repentance and forgiveness. Christ said, all authority is given unto me, right? All authority is given unto me. There's nothing else left. All authority, every single form of authority is given unto Christ. And what did he do to his disciples? Christ entrusted that authority or passed on that authority given to him to these disciples. Why would, be, why would they be able to do the casting of demons and healing and so forth if the power of God is not given to them? They were given. They received the power of God, right? And also Christ said, when my Holy Spirit, when, when Holy Spirit God comes, He's going to remind you of the things that I've taught you. So, I mean, there's so many things that are happening in this 
chapter in this book. I hope to cover chapter six today, but I don't think I'll be able to do that again and again and again. So what is the purpose of Christ making him, uh, placing him at right hand and as a leader and savior is to give to Israel repentance and forgiveness of sins. So here we learn Jesus is Israel's prince who is co-equal with God, shares God's authority, and is the one who initiated restoration of the kingdom, who alone can offer eternal life because he is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is the savior, meaning he secures lives before God. Jesus saves. Nobody else saves. If you look at Luke's way of addressing things, he talks about Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was what? We looked at, we talked about that maybe three, four weeks ago. Caesar Augustus was sort of a savior to those people back then, at least in their, in their sense. Why? Because during Caesar Augustus' rule, there was Pax Romana, peace in Rome. He brought peace somehow. So people were really wanting that little bit of peace. And so they sort of elevated Caesar Augustus as one of the respected persons who brought peace. And in Roman culture, there's also some, some emperors were seen as gods, semi-gods or demi-gods, whatever, partial gods. So Caesar bought that peace. But Luke's way of saying is <laughs> Caesar is not savior. Jesus is. So there's a point where he says that Jesus is Savior. He secures life before God and Jesus saves. So notice the graciousness of God here. One of the commentary writers, Eckerd, says God offers salvation. Wow. Is there something? God offers salvation, not retribution, for the crucifixion of Jesus. He offers salvation. People, people crucified Jesus. These people are part of crucifixion of Jesus, but Jesus is so willing to save people, right? He's, huh? Oh, I just, I just saw a Kirsch novel. I had, I had class with him. Oh, you had? <laughs> Look at that. God offers, I mean, I thought that's interesting. God offers salvation, not retribution. You see a retribution principle somewhere in the Bible? Where is that principle talked about? Whole lot. Retribution. You pay what you get. I mean, you get what you deserve is a retribution principle. Have you noticed that in Old Testament, for example, an eye for an eye and a tooth for... That's why I took Old Testament, because I like it. Yeah, capital punishment. I like... Just kidding. Look at yours. Yeah, you shoot someone, you shoot, shoot someone, you should be shot. Just kidding. But that is the way in the Old Testament, the retribution principle. So there is that. But here, it's a little different in New Testament, right? God offers forgiveness, salvation, even to these people. That is what Peter was saying. You brought this to Christ. You, can, you still have time to repent and seek forgiveness. God is going to forgive if you only repent. Now, there's a parable. Yes, I taught a few weeks ago. The two sons, uh, the two sons tale, the parable of two sons, uh, talks about the Pharisees and, and also the uh, believers of, of that time. So these people, the, the eldest one says what? A son, go do something in the, in the field, for example. He says, yeah, I'll do it, but he won't do it, right? The second one says, no, but then he goes on to do it later on. The first one heard, but didn't take it into action. Who was the first one they're talking about there? Pharisees or this... Gentile believers or Jewish believers coming to believe in the Lord. Pharisees sort of know. They, they said they know the law, right? They know what God's word is teaching, but they were not able to follow. They did not follow. And Christ ends up saying in that parable, 
you know, sort of, I'm just paraphrasing here, that you still have time. He didn't say these Pharisees uh, will not enter into the kingdom of God or into, into heaven, but they will be later, they will be last. Meaning what? If you, if you, if you, if you uh, repent and seek God's forgiveness and believe, you still have access. So he's not really saying, Pharisees, you disobeyed me, so you're out. But he's saying you still have time. Make a call, make a decision now. So that is, so that's what I see here. It's not God offers salvation, not retribution. So, and in 32, how much time I got? Oh, I have to stop. 32, and we are his witness for these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given unto them that obey him. So they're obviously defending and the continued defense of Peter. We will see that uh, later on from here. Any questions so forth? So far? I've took two minutes extra. I know we're going to go and stand there anyways, but uh, any questions? Hopefully we'll finish up uh, next week and also, because I've been here and this is the eighth week in chapter five. That's not right. Something is not right. I probably have to read my slides and move on. So anyways, let's close in prayer and uh, we'll see you next week, Lord willing. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you give uh, us understanding of your word and help us to be so committed and dedicated to serve you as the disciples did. I pray that you be with the pastor as he brings the word in the next service and also give us a good rest of the day. May we bring honor and glory uh, through our lives to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right.